Hey, True Crew, this is Vic, and I'm here to proudly announce that we are affiliates of The Subtle Nerd. The Subtle Nerd is a place where you can get all your modern, nerding, gaming, geek, lifestyle-type shirts. They've got hoodies. They've got tank tops. They've got stuff from men and women. They've even got posters and mugs for all your nerd gaming needs. And the best part about all this is that you, our loyal listeners and followers, all get to benefit from this joint venture, which means you get 10% off if you use the code CHEWPOD, C-H-E-W-P-O-D, all cap letters, you'll get 10% off your entire purchase. So what are you waiting for? All you have to do is just click the link in the ad description below, or you can just head on over to thesubtlenerd.com. We'll also have all the information you need posted and pinned on all of our social media websites. And again, head on over to the Subtle Nerd, and don't forget to use the coupon code CHEWPOD so you get 10% off. Welcome to Chew on This and Nerds United Podcast, and I'm here with a special episode um, that we didn't think we would get before the season premiere of Warrior Dropped. That's right, season three is back, and after two years of trying to get this show back on, it was announced, what, in 2021, I think we were announced that this show would come back. There was an online hashtag to save Warrior. Um, once it dropped on HBO Max, as it was called back then, <laughs> HBO Max, um, we, I, I started watching the show and I cannot believe that this show exists because the production value and the fight choreography alone, if you just like action shows, this is the movie, this is a show to watch, but the story and all the characters and it's perfectly cast. And I cannot believe that we get Perry Young back. Father June himself is back for season three. We're going to drop this episode. Uh, on Monday, uh, the Friday after, I think it premieres this Friday, right? The 29th? Uh, or yes, this Thursday. Actually. This Thursday, right. This Thursday, right. we're going to drop it on Monday. Uh, Perry was awesome enough to give us the entire season three to review. Um, and I cannot wait to watch it, but, uh, technical difficulties happen, but I'm actually really happy that I get to talk to Perry today without actually being spoiled about the season and it's exactly what i'm going to do after this interview is over is just binge so perry thank you so much again for coming back on it's an absolute pleasure Vic. thank you for having me and i just want to give credit to the hbo promo the multicultural promo department for making these screeners available um i wish i had the power to do that <laughs> but it's really up to them to decide because they don't pass it out to everyone so i think that they um respect what you're doing yeah, they uh they were really helpful with everything going on. It's kind of like one of those blessing in disguise. I was disappointed that I wasn't able to watch, but in a good way where I wouldn't slip up during this recording uh to to uh to to ruin the fact that uh, I don't I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who's out there because it's some really good stuff too. I mean everything's a spoiler in this season so Yeah, I can't wait. So before we get to that there's there's things that you know I've been trying to get you back on cuz there's so many things that you've been doing um, and I want to talk about your two biggest projects in the past, past, uh, past year. I think we've spoken last year. We spoke last year. Right. Um, the first one I want to talk about is the father son that released, uh, last year, I believe. Right. Can you right. talk a little bit about that? Because I, I've read about this, but I want, I want to be able to give before we get to, to, to warrior, why we're here. I want to talk about your, your other projects and your other, your other social, uh, fights that you're doing out there, which I absolutely love. So I'm going to talk about father son, then we'll get into the harvest and, and then your, your causes as well. And because I interviewed, uh, Irene, I want to talk, about, right. I want to talk about your marriage proposal. <laughs> uh, I guess it depends on who's, uh, who's reality you're, you're getting that from, but uh, uh, right, right. But let's, um, let's talk about a father son first. Right. So yeah, yeah. You got to, um, Go go ahead. Ask the question, or uh, well, I I just wanted you to talk about you know the um I I unfortunately didn't know or follow your career before I watched Warrior, and then speaking to you, one of the things I said to Irene was that my God, he's a great actor because holy shit, as Father June, he is the baddest of bads, 
there other than, you know, Assam and, 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 and June himself, uh, young June himself. But like, I mean, there's other baddies too, but you are the patriarch of that. And the way that you are as Father June is so completely opposite of how you are personality wise. And that's, to me, that's like an amazing actor. So, you know, when I see you in other things, I'm blown away also because of how far some of the things that you do are like, you could not be further away from father June. I've actually encouraged you to curse on this show and you don't, <laughs> and you won't curse like father June does. So, um, so that's why I want to talk about you. that show. <laughs> um, thank you for that fucking awesome compliment. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, you know, it's a gift. I feel like everything is a, in this world. It's just a, an, an incredible gift. And I just made in these gifts. Um, Father June, uh, I'm sorry, uh, A Father's Son is a short film directed by Patrick Chen based on a series of novels by Henry Chang, uh, an OG Chinese-American writer in New York City's Chinatown who wrote a series of police uh, uh, novels um, based on a character called Detective Jack Yu. And it covers the Chinatown gangs in the 90s, 80s and 90s. And it's very, you know, kind of like a new war era drama with, you know, dark humor and you know, such a visual kind of a, a you know, um, novel that they wanted to make it into a series. So this film, the short film was sort of like, kind of like what we call sometimes a proof of um, concept. We want to make this really, you know, beautiful short film so that it could be like the present, we could present it and sell it and show producers that th- this could be an excellent TV series. So that's what um, this was. And um, because of certain um, people, uh, Related to Patrick, he was able to get like Ronnie Chang as the, as um, the son. Uh, I play the father, um, and Tai Ma, you know, is 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 part of um, the other father actually. So uh, it, you know, it's a complicated little story in the film. We don't explain everything, but we want to just get everyone into it. But it's just you know, um, Patrick is a great community organizer. He got almost every every actor in Chinatown in the film just to walk on. You know, we had Henry Yook who plays Long Z and Warrior walk on for for a short scene, and uh, just you know, all these people I've known for years, decades just showed up for this film because it was a community film. Um, it really represented our community. And and there was a um, a walk-on with uh, one of our most beloved community members, Corky Lee, who passed away during the pandemic. But so when we found that all these people were in it, everyone just wanted to be in it. Uh, and it's all for the love of the community. So, you know, Henry's book is all about casting a light on these denizens of Chinatown. Who are they? And the fact that I was given an opportunity to play one of these immigrants that, you know, our first generation, I speak Cantonese. And it was an opportunity, an incredible opportunity for me as an actor, because I'm in an American show, to actually speak Cantonese. Because that's, you know, I've never had that opportunity. So um, when Patrick asked me to do it, I went, oh, I get to speak Cantonese. Wow, that's a whole other layer of practicing my craft, um, digging into my my history, my personal history. And so it was just incredibly fun to say the least. And then, you know, of course to meet Ronnie and, and hang out with Ty and um, we all hang out afterwards. So I just saw Ty and Ronnie just last week when Ty was in town because it creates, it created this bond over that film, you know, and we, we've all three of us re- remained friends afterwards. So um, yeah, that's the father since father and son. And it's just incredibly cool again to have, people in the community who want to do authentic art for the community without a, without a sort of capitalistic goal at the end to, you know, to make money or, or whatever. Um, I'm just grateful. And because of that um, opportunity, it's a huge responsibility. So I just dig in and, you know, as an actor, <laughs> I just did this reading <clears throat> for a Broadway show the other day, Broadway bound show, Farewell My Concubine, written by Kenneth Lynn of uh, Warrior. And there's a line in it that they take from the original Farewell My Concubine movie. Um, the, the king says, I think it's the king character that plays the king in Chinese opera, Beijing opera. He says, prostitutes are, um, I, I can't do, I remember the exact quote, but you know, society sees us the same. 
prostitutes and actors were the same. So most actors will never, even my manager told me this, most actors will never get to act in a project that, that they truly believe in. So the fact that I get to do something like a father's son, harvest, warrior, it's already, I've already done things that most actors will not, will never be able to achieve. Especially Enjoy. Asian, especially Asian American actors, right? 100% cause those stories are so, uh, small compared to the numbers of, um, non-Asian stories that are being produced by, you know, commercial venue, um, avenues like Hollywood and things like that and television. So the fact that it's an Asian story usually means it's an indie film. Like the harvest is an indie film. Um, the father and son is an indie film. And, you know, Warrior was written by Bruce Lee because no one else was going to do it. So, um, yes, I'm just incredibly fortunate. And, um, I think I don't take that for granted, granted, because I just, I'm just going to dive in and give these characters that comes from these writers, um, heart and soul. I want to give it my heart and soul because it it might be our one shot to tell the world what we're made of. Yeah. Sadly, Um, that's, that's how it still works. I always say, I always say like true diversity in Hollywood is not going to, there's no real true diversity in Hollywood till um, like a woman director, a black director, an Asian director, a Latino director fails miserably or a director or actor or writer just fails miserably and then gets another job. Immediately. Absolutely. We don't get that chance. We fail right. once and we're done, you know? Right. And uh, yeah, a lot of black directors talk about that too. You know, when they're, if their film fails, it's huge. Whereas a white director, they're yeah. just going to get another job. Yeah. Like you, know? you can't tell me Michael Bay is a better director than Ryan Coogler. Mm-hmm. You just can't, yeah. you just can't, you can't tell me that, that, that's, that he's a better director. You know, even Dest, uh, even Destin or Dust, uh, Cretton, I think his name is yeah. from who directed Shang-Chi and American Born Chinese. You can't right. tell me just based on the films that I've watched him do versus Michael Bay that mm-hmm. he's not a better director already. You know, so I want him to direct a Revenge of the Fallen Transformers movie Mm. and then and then still like, you know, granted that movie got another sequel because it made a ton of money. But, but, you know, it's not a better film by far. But uh, so the the, um, uh, a father son was directed was shot on location right in, in Manhattan in Chinatown. Yeah, that was one, another one of the beautiful things about uh, being in New York City is like, and these locations, Manhattan itself is a character, yeah. right? It's a rich character. And so many people come to New York City to film because that gives your film so much clout and authenticity. It's like, if yeah. you're just walking down the street, I mean, the opening shots of, um, uh, what is that? Um, Saturday Night Fever, you know, of, of Travolta's feet walking down the sidewalk and you pull back and you see Brooklyn. I mean, you can't, by um, you know like you can't make that up it's brooklyn you know yeah. and Even, so um same thing with spike lee he knows you know uh when right. brownstones and, and, the, and the vibe it's like that's you know that's a major part of your film so we shot in chinatown i mean as we were filming i was looking around going oh my god i, I i'm in heaven i've made it you know i'm i'm you know i wouldn't say that i'm financially successful as an actor but in terms of just being happy i've I've succeeded because I'm living the dream. I'm shooting this right in Chinatown, right, right on the streets, historical, historical streets, you know, that, that angle we call bloody angle, uh, where there was a lot of Tong wars and things like that and gang, you know, gangs, you know, throughout the last century. So we're actually filming a film there about all of that with a contemporary statement, you know, coming from the community. It's like, that's already a notch above what, you know, our, our, um, the previous generation had done as artists and, you know, we're just standing on the shoulders. So, uh, you know, Wayne Wong and um, all of these other people that have, that have paved the way for us to actually make these films. Now it's, you know, much gratitude to them. I, I, it, it's rare. It's very rare, but whenever canal street or parts of Chinatown, New York city are in film, um, I think you, I think I've mentioned that I, you know, I, I was in New Jersey for, 30 something years before I moved to California. And obviously like it's a lot more diverse where I am, but where I was in Jersey, I had to drive like over an hour to get like dim sum or a Chinese restaurant. Right. <laughs> and then early on before we knew of the dim sum or real Chinese restaurants, like authentic Chinese restaurants um, in the area, 
we would drive all the way to New York City because my parents are originally from uh, northern Jersey and my dad drove a cab in Manhattan. So he Whoa. knows he knows that area really well. Point being is that every time, like every weekend, we would go to Chinatown. Every almost it felt like every weekend. That's amazing. And I can any time parts or just a shot of Chinatown on Canal Street with that smoke that comes up in the early in the morning, mm-hmm. and you can it, you can smell the fresh produce, the fish, and New York City and the wet sidewalk. Mm-hmm. all forming this one pungent smell that you shouldn't like because it's not a good smell. <laughs> but anytime you, I see it on screen, it reminds me of home, even though I'm on, you know, I'm from Jersey, but I remember, you know, I just, I just can picture, I can close my eyes and imagine walking down canal street and, and just smelling all the smells. And like when you can smell a place that's home. And so, well- it's funny you say that. And I would say Canal Street is not a pretty, you know, it's not a, a, a fragrant smell. No, it's not. But it's an acquired smell. Right. And once right. you acquire it, it's heaven and you know your home. Right. You know, it's the same thing with San Francisco's Chinatown. You know, when I first, uh, my second sublet in New York City after I'd been in, when I moved here, you know, I was sort of experiencing culture shock. And uh, I just didn't, you know, I didn't know how long I'd last in Manhattan. And then I found a sublet right on Canal Street. And as soon as I smelled that smell and walked into a store, you know, and the woman at the store said in Cantonese, Hey brother, is that all you, is that all for you today? I went, Oh my God, I'm home. Right. Right. You know, like I didn't ask for this, but Chinatown was there for me. And yeah. right that moment I went, you know what? Now I'm in a new city. You know, it's no longer, I'm no longer experiencing the culture shock. I'm home. Right. It's quite amazing what, what Chinatown can provide for somebody who was grow, grew up in Chinatown. You know, what's so crazy is that we have completely different lives, completely different paths. But because you've been to Chinatown and grew up in Chinatown, and I used to go there every weekend on my childhood, because <clears throat> back then Toys R Us didn't carry those Asian toys, right? <laughs> I There is that, I don't know if you're, I forget the name of the place, but it's this one part, obviously off Canal Street, where there's a there was a toy store on the left hand side and it was right down the street from the corner where that ice cream place was with the green mm-hmm. dragon sign. Mm-hmm. There used to, that toy store is closed down now. But I mm-hmm. got I don't know if you know what Voltron is, mm-hmm. but that's yep. where I had to go to get Whoa. my Voltron toy. Like all my Japanese or Asian mm-hmm. toys that I got are all from that store. Now yeah. you can get them, you know, on Amazon. You can order them overseas, but back then. That was the only place I knew to get anime toys. Mm-hmm. Only mm-hmm. place I knew. So I got Voltron. I was the only one in my neighborhood too. <laughs> Cause I was like in sur- suburban America or like, you know, white neighborhood all around. And all of my friends watched Voltron, but Voltron wasn't in Toys R Us. Right, right. So I would go into Chinatown to go get dim sum on weekends and go to this toy store every weekend. You it know, was- it's. They may have moved to Elizabeth Street. So oh, okay, Elizabeth okay. has a huge uh, anime, um, you know, toy store. And I actually was looking for an Ultraman mask oh, okay. last week. And I went that I'm going to go there to get it because I knew I wasn't going to find it anywhere else. Right. You know? right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But like our backgrounds are different, but we've probably all like we've you've been to that ice cream shop, right? With mm-hmm. the green dragon so there. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm positive we've eaten at all the dim sum places, the same mm-hmm. places, even ones that have already closed down because of COVID, which is right. sad. There was that right. one place I was upstairs. It was like a giant banquet hall. I forget the name of it. Um, and then like you, you know, you've been to Chinatown or at least part of the culture when you've shared a table of dim sum with people that you don't know. Totally. On a, on a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon where it's like packed. And there's nowhere to eat, but there's a table of 10 and two families of four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or three couples, you know, or something like that, you know, it, it's, right. and that's the amazing thing about the culture of Chinatown, right? It's like, and Cantonese culture of them. Some is like non-Chinese would accept that. I'll sit at this table with strangers, but if you're going to go outside of Ch- Chinatown, Probably very few people would sit at a table with a stranger. Yeah, it's never going to happen at like a Wendy's <laughs> <laughs> or like an Olive Garden. Right, right. I mean, um, you know, those are the things that just makes me like um, love where we are today as an Asian American storyteller is that we can actually tell those stories. We can share our culture in a broader, bigger, broader 
way with more support than ever before. So I think, you know, because of, um, you know, like within the last 15 years, especially after, um, uh, you know, the, the big rom-com, um, Crazy Rich Asians, they, it kind of blew open the doors, you know, where there's so many more people behind the scenes, you know, and the indie filmmakers, uh, supporting and, and basically telling our stories because there was a hunger for new content. You know, when all the streaming uh, services popped on, it was like, you know what? There's a lot more people that want different content than before. So let's invest in that. And that, that got us here today, partly. I mean, um, I mean, it leads me to the harvest. You know, with when Duan Moa, the writer who played Spider in Clint, East, Clint Eastwood's Gran Torino, um, saw how popular that movie was, but then he was couldn't audition for another role. Afterwards, he went, "What's going on here? I was just in this huge Clint Eastwood movie blockbuster. You know, this was before streaming, really, and people had to go to the theater to see this, and like." There's my, my phone's not ringing off the hook, you know, which would be a very different story if he wasn't a, a Caucasian actor. Right. Um, it'd be a very different story. So he's, he's, he, you know, he set out to write his own film because he thought, you know, at least if I finish, when I finish the script, there'll be something I could do. I can act in my own movie. So, you know, it took him like 10 years to, to, from the start of writing that script to getting it, um, green lit and shot. And so, um, when Dua offered me the role, I said, um, and I read the script, it was just like gold. You know, it was, the words were shimmering off the pages. And I went, this is the stuff we've been waiting for. You know, this is the moment where I get to see this and go, I want to tell the story. I know the story so well, and nobody has done this before, you know? Right. And, uh, you were talking earlier about playing these roles that are very different from me. I play the father, right? A, a Hmong father who had served in the secret war in, in, you know, Vietnam and brought to America and was disillusioned and betrayed by the, both governments, you know, and like, and then dying of, you know, liver cancer. I mean, well, I, actually, I can't give away too much. But <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's how am I going to, how am I going to play that guy? I don't really, I don't know him, but I know that I want to bring um, dimension and authenticity and empathy to an Asian elder because, because right. they need, they need the face. They need, you know, you know, that can help our culture that can help, you know, America in general is to like show them who we are, show them that we're people. We're not just these one dimensional um, faces that, you know, our ex president Trump can, can put a target on and say, they're the problem. You know, we, right. we need a voice. I need to give them a voice. So when I was given that opportunity, it was really a special moment for me to go, okay, how am I going to approach this role? Um, I have my own way of working already, but I, I really want to find a new way to work so that I can really experience and investigate this role and learn more than I've ever did, done from a character, from the words on the page. So, so tell me a little bit about, so tell me a little bit about that process for you. How, how did you approach this differently than say, you know, cause I, I'm going to guess that you have more in common with a father in this era than you do with father June and they could not be completely more different characters. So what about like, what was your process different from here than say preparing for a role like father June? Like I'm pretty sure for father June, you have to go some, you know, you, I'm guessing you have to go to some dark places. Maybe <laughs> I do. I do. And those dark places I've gone to before because I've studied Asian uh, Chinese American history so long that those dark, dark places, um, manifested even before I was an actor because, you know, it was like, okay, this is, you know, how do I deal with this stuff? Because now I know, right. I have knowledge of racism, systemic racism. What do, what do I do with that? You know? So if, if you're an artist, you get to release that kind of stuff, right. Through your arts. I was lucky, fortunate to have been given the role of father June. So I could release that stuff. But um, in, in this role with, with uh, the Hmong father, there really was, was no way to release it you know, in the same way, because it was pent up. The, the, the father doesn't know why he, be, he be, behaves that way. Father June knows why he behaves that way. But the father in the harvest has this sort of, um, you know, trauma that's swept under the rug, right? So, like, I really don't know that kind of trauma because I've been dealing with uh, uh, using art to release that all my life. So to try to be a person that didn't understand how to, um, connect with trauma and release it 
was something I had to investigate. And also, I just read the, the script over and over again because I wanted to truly get into understanding what Dua wanted to say because it's such a an authentic script. It's such a rich story that we haven't heard before. I mean, I think anyone who sees the movie will identify with all of the family aspects of this movie, the family dynamics, um, and how we each are trying to carve and find our own space within this close-knit nuclear family, you know, struggle with each other, yet love each other and accept each other's um, issues. So just I just read the script over and over again and tried to, like, find ways that, that me, Perry Young, could sort of identify truly and honestly, authentically without acting, without going, oh, I think I know what that is. And I think actors would do this in that situation. I truly, I, I tried to dig deep and find authenticity so that it, so I wouldn't have to think about it when we started shooting so that it was just there because, because it's in me. Um, and it was one of the most challenging roles I've ever done. And uh, most rewarding at the same time. Um, I would just say that I hope that distributors with um, vision will see this film and go, I know what this film can do for society. I think we should distribute it. It's one of those, you know, kind of specialized stories that I think some distributors are afraid of it, are afraid of, of things that seem specialized when actually it's not specialized. It's very human. We, it's we all, very American. Exactly. And it's not just American. It's all cultures. Well, America is all cultures. Well, right. right. So it's all cultures and really looks at a part of American culture that, that, um, and an immigrant American family to say that, ah, actually that's what an immigrant American family has to deal with. Sort of the old culture trying to assimilate into America, new, the younger culture and how, where that clash is and how they could try to find, you know, love and a way forward within those really deep, deeply carved, um, things emotionally that we might not be able to get over. But one of the, th- one of the things that you said about that, that struck me as authenticity and in preparing for this, for this interview, even though we've talked before, I, you know, I've been trying to get, to be able to watch this movie. Uh, I know that distribution distribution is a little bit difficult when, you know, dealing with independent movies, uh, which I completely understand. But when you're talking about authenticity and how you bring that to the table, I just want to talk about this one picture here, because mm. for me growing up and you too, there's four Asians in this screenshot. Right. And, but what makes it authentic to me is what they're sitting around. <laughs> right. Is the things that stuck out to me of a lot of Asian American films in the last five years are the things that nobody picks up on. Right. Like in, in this multi-million dollar movie of Shang-Chi, it's a comic book Marvel movie. Things that stuck out to me the most was when Shang-Chi or at that point, Sean went over to Katie's place and for breakfast, they're eating, they're eating joke, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. They're just, they're just eating breakfast normally, not making anything about it. Just that's what they're eating. And the same thing with American born Chinese. I don't know if you've ever, if you got to watch a I show. Did, yet. I did. Yeah. There's all the dinners that they have there, the little tiny things. Right. And in this picture right here, I immediately go to the food and say, okay, all this stuff is real Chinese mm-hmm. and stuff that you would never find. Like half of this stuff looks like you would never find it on a menu. And Absolutely. I know exactly what that is. And it just adds, it just adds to like all, like, I, I think that's why like Black Panther resonated so well because there's things that we never saw before that we could resonate with that culture. And for me, anytime I see Asian Americans on film, I want to see what they're eating. It's that time of the show where I ask you to review our show on iTunes and Facebook. On iTunes, you can just look us up at Chew On This, a Nerd United podcast. And on Facebook, once again, that is at Chew On This podcast. So please head on over and give us one of those nice five-star reviews and tell us how we changed your life and made it for the better. And now back to the show. Absolutely. It is such a huge part of Asian culture. 
food and knowing how to eat is a huge part of Asian culture. When I was growing up, um, some of my non-Asian friends were like, oh, my mom can't cook. And I was like, oh, my God, I feel so sorry for you, <laughs> you know? And then, like, then they don't know what to order. They don't know what to eat. They don't know how to enjoy food, right? Right, right. But if your mother, like, like all my uh, Asian friends and fathers know how to cook right. and they know about food. And my they, dad didn't know how to cook. My dad doesn't know how to cook. <laughs> but he knew how to drive a cab. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He he but, he uh, drew. A, he he went against that stereotype. But let me tell you what. When you talk, I'm glad you pointed out that food. And I just wanted to make a, a kind correction. It, it's Hmong, right? The Hmong food. Yeah. In this table, he had a Hmong chef, the best Hmong chef in L.A. that had a, a very successful food truck that everyone went to who were Hmong knew his food truck. He was on set cooking the food for us, cooking that food. And there was another tape scene where I, got, I got to ask who got to eat it, who got to eat uh, it. We did. We over. all totally, as we were filming it, instead of, you know, how some people like, I'm actually a lot of actors when they're shooting a, 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 eat a dinner scene, they chew and there's a bucket and they spit it out. And, right, right, and right. They take the chew. We ate the food. I mean, it was so good. That's like the cardinal sin. You have to match the take every time. Yep, so if yep. you take a big bite of something, the rule is you need to take a big bite every single yep, time. Yeah. So like I listen to a lot of behind the scenes stuff and I listen mm-hmm. to, uh, the office, uh, ladies, the podcast about the office. And they said early on, uh, Angela, the person who plays Angela, whose name in real life is Angela, she made the cardinal sin of eating a big I think uh, a piece of ice cream cake, either it was her or Michael and they can, because of that one day of shooting, they can no longer eat ice cream cake because they ate it all day. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a bucket. The prop person is always like, you want a bucket, you know, because if you're shooting that all night long and you, and you do take a bite, you can't keep eating right. That, that same bite. And we, and there was a question, uh, I think, Somebody said, well, how many chicken wings do we have? Because I'm going to be taking, and that, that chef was like, we got buckets of chicken wing. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Cause I got to have the same chicken wing every time. Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of authenticity that went into this film, Father's Son. And I'm, I'm sorry that you can't. Oh, the harvest, right? The harvest. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The harvest. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, I'm sorry that it wasn't available for you to view because it is really, um, I think a really special viewing experience. And after I saw it, I was just, you know, I was patting myself on the back because I think it's one of the best roles I've ever done for a film, and I truly hope that it can get dis- distributed. So well, I, I hope to, be, I hope it does too, and I hope I get to see it sooner than later. I hope you guys are up in Sacramento at some point too. Whenever you're back on the West Coast, we'll have to try to get together, especially when you're in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Is there a film festival in San Francisco, uh, Sacramento? I don't know if there is one. There's one that's independent, like independent, independent, like smaller than like the, the film circuits. I think that you're at, okay. but there is, there is a Sacramento film, uh, uh, group here that I belong, not, I don't belong to it, but I do follow. Um, it did, it did screen at, uh, Cam Media, which is San Francisco's oldest yeah. film festival. Um, so it might, it probably won't go back to San Francisco, but it might go, it might go near Sacramento, hopefully. Yeah, next time you have next time you got stuff like that, let me know because we our our listenership is in this whole Bay Area, so let us know Great. so we can we can post it. So uh, I'm so happy you were able to talk about all that stuff. Um, I know people are here to to listen to one thing, um, but, <laughs> but before we get to Warrior, I need to ask you about your marriage proposal. So Irene told me that she proposed to her husband, her now husband. Um, what she told me that I didn't know was that your wife proposed to you too. Yes. So I, I, I told her I would ask you on the show the next time we got you on. So how did that, how did that go? And how was, how was, you know, your, you know, this society tells us that the man has to ask, but that didn't happen in your case. It didn't happen in her case. So I, I just wanted to know from your perspective, I understand uh, and appreciate everything that Irene told us about her, her thinking about marriage and all that stuff. So I wanted to, I want to get the guy's side of you on what happens when you're on the receiving end of a marriage proposal? Well, you know, it's quite complex and nuanced what you're talking about, right? There's so much involved in terms of who the people are, for one thing, not just gender, but who, where, where, what's the history of these people? What is the history of, like, me as a Chinese-American man and the history of my my wife, who's half Vietnamese, half Irish, product of the Vietnam War, you know? And all those things play a huge part into how, that proposal happens, you know? Um, 
I, I am an artist, you know, I, I never thought, I always knew I was an artist. I always knew that I was going to be like sort of singular in my own thinking that I didn't fit into what everybody else wanted, wanted from society. A lot of my friends growing up, um, you know, wanted a car right away and was, uh, buy, you know, was thinking about a job where they could buy a house, you know, the American dream. And, you know, by the time I was 16 or 17, I knew that's not what I wanted. I knew I wanted to live in New York City and be an artist. So I just spent, you know, 10 years trying to figure out how to get to New York City from that age. Um, I, a lot of my friends, as I was moving to New York City in my early 20s, were already buying houses, you know, and I was like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a solo artist, you know, this might be my life. Um, you know, I had, you know, relationships, but, and they ended because they're like, what, you're moving? What, what about me? You know, I'm like, do you want to come? You know, and they're like, so anyway, I, I made it to New York City and it was just the most amazing thing because it's like, I met so many artists, artist couples, um, and they were kind of my role models. And very few of these artist couples had children, you know, cause they were like art, art is their children, you know? And, um, I just thought it was a solo, you know, it's going to be a solo trip for me. And when I met Maura, my wife, she was an artist, a dancer. And she also said, you know, I never wanted to be married. I want kids. And I was like, great. This is perfect. You know, <laughs> we're just going to be this artist couple. Like many of our friends who are artist couples who don't have children because, you know, we do our work. Um, and then one day, I mean, so we've been together for like maybe four or five years, no, four years. And, uh, I was visiting her home, uh, with her parents and we we're like at New Year's morning, uh, at a beach and, uh, I was with her parents and I think Irene was there and, um, we were just looking at the water and then Mora just came up to me with a handful of shells, you know, she's like that she got off the beach and, uh, she got on her knees and said, will you marry me? And I was like quite shocked because we, ne we both said thought we'd never be married nor want to be married. But as an artist, I thought in that moment, this life is about exploring everything you can that life offers you, um, is to not deny yourself of experiences that you can have as an artist. You should have all the experiences that you want. So I never thought I'd be married. Like what the heck if I don't ma marry someone now, I'll never have that experience. And you know, she was cool enough for me to want to hang out with for a long time. So I accepted. And Maura's family comes from, uh, you know, they were raised from uh, Irene's mother and all of them, seven, seven kids total, raised by a very strong mother who escaped Vietnam, you know, and carved out a whole life for herself. And she knew that anything that she wanted, she had to get for herself because those things were denied to her in that culture in Vietnam. Yeah, her mom's story is insane. Right, right. So, and inspiring, right? Because yeah. it's like, no matter what, you just have to like dig into yourself and tell yourself, this is what I want and this is how I'm going to do it, you know? And um I don't know, does that match Irene's ver version of reality? It, it does. And uh she, she, she also said that I have an open invitation to uh one of your get-togethers because she told me a story <laughs> about uh, her mom's spring rolls. Oh, uh, and, um, how they're so good that her ex-boyfriend in college, um, went over there and instead of trying to have breakup sex, had egg rolls or spring rolls from her mom <laughs> instead. So it was, it's this ongoing joke with her that her mom's egg rolls or spring rolls are so good that they're better than breakup sex. So it's pretty um, incredible. I think her mom knew that uh, it wooed all her siblings partners with her cooking in some oh, ways you well, know that's it's pretty amazing like, yeah. if you come over oh perry oh here's your favorite you know and it's like oh my god this is great you know it's, right. you don't get that kind of home-cooked vietnamese food anywhere oh god yes yeah. you know and and then she didn't just single me out especially but every one every one of her kids her offsprings partners had had a favorite dish that she cooked you know when they came over and uh so you know she was like I want to make sure that, you know, my, my, my kids get good partners, you know? <laughs> <laughs> she says her mom's still mad about it. That, oh. that, that he broke up with her, but still came over to have the spring rolls. That, that oh, she her, was like, all fruit. that, all that, all that investment she did. Yeah. 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 All right. So 
uh, I know we only, wow, we talked about a lot of other stuff other than why we came to talk in the first place. Cause everything else is so interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. like I said, I've, you know, before warrior, the, the, the season premiere announced, I was like, you got to come back on because there's other things I want to talk to you about too, but I wouldn't be doing our show justice if we didn't talk about warrior. Um, right, my right. God, it's a special thing. such a special I, thing. Oh my God. I, I, I cannot wait. Um, like I said, I, I I'm, it, it's, it's a, it's a little bittersweet that I was able to do the show without watching that show, but I'm kind of happy because I knew I would spoil the crap out of it by accident. <laughs> I mean, literally in the screener, there's something that they tell you don't spoil. I won't mm-hmm. say the episode number. I don't say, I won't say anything, but in the screener itself, it says don't spoil this thing. Mm-hmm. So I guess the first question I got to ask is, I think we talked to you after the show was approved for season three to, to, okay. to come back on. And I don't think you had started shooting yet, but. Uh- my God, to be part of something like this, right? But then to be part of something where the fans are like, no, 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 no. You're not canceling this show. You're bringing it back, and here's how many people want to watch it. Because I, I got to tell you, honestly, I've been part of shows where – or not part of shows, but been part of, like, fandom where I'm like, you got to watch a show. It's amazing, right? Like, Firefly is one of those shows, mm-hmm. but also, fuck Joss Whedon. Um, <laughs> but – but I've never been in this day and age where I was like, I'm telling you, you have to watch a show. It's canceled. It's bullshit. But you got to watch every single person that I have spoken to who actually took my advice became part of this like hashtag movement where they're like, oh, my God, I cannot believe HBO or Cinemax at that point canceled this show because it's literally the best show I've ever watched on TV. Wow. It's got romance, it's got drama, it's got family issues, and the fight scenes, and oh my god, the first, so, sorry, that's a long-winded question to ask, <laughs> way to ask, what was it like to be part of, like, an actual phenomenon that was brought back by the internet? It, it, it's pretty mind-blowing, it is a phenomenon that rarely ever happens in television, you know, when a show gets canceled, it's canceled. It's not coming back. I mean, there's a couple of rare examples, like maybe Cobra Kai or something, you know, um, that was originally a YouTube thing. Or right. But a, that was a, that was you know, a spinoff of a, of a eighties cultural phenomenon, right? Right. Right. Warrior, even though it's written by Bruce Lee, it was, was stuck on Cinemax. Right. Mm-hmm. And we all know what Cinemax is known for. I mean, the nickname right. is called Skinemax, right? Right. Yeah. They've had some good shows like Dexter. Mm hmm. But Dexter was one of their like premier, mm-hmm. premier shows. Warrior, I felt like didn't get its due when it was on Max. Nobody really knew about it, obviously, until mm-hmm. it hit HBO Max streaming. Right. Right. So this isn't one of their shows that everybody knew about. And it, it wasn't even like a network show like Firefly. This was on mm-hmm. cable of cable television. And for people to rediscover this show that nobody really watched, unfortunately, when it was first premiering, Mm-hmm. And to bring it back in such a way, like, I, I'm, I don't know anybody who are our followers. I mean, there's like, there's plenty of followers on our page that I have been singing praises for the show. I mean, I left a banner up there for Safe Warrior <laughs> for, for months and months and months until it was finally saved that people were actually like, oh my God, I just started watching the show. It's amazing. I cannot believe I never watched it. I mean, this is crazy, it, it for, is for, crazy. for this kind of show to happen. It is crazy because, you know, by the time, uh, you know, when season two was beginning to air, I think HBO knew that it was being sold. And so they were like, we can't put money into produ- uh, publicizing it because even season one had some billboards in L.A. and I yeah. saw it on buses in New York City. Season two had nothing because it was it was already sold as dead. They thought it's dead. There's no reason to to present it. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's a bit of racism in there, you know, the, these decision making, you know. Um, but, but once season two aired on HBO Max, I was instantly recognized on the street, which was like, whoa, you know, and then, and then the numbers on my uh, social media, you know, grew uh, uh, like exponentially right away, you know, and, um, and, and people were DMing me, like asking me, asking Father June, <laughs> not just you, but people were saying, Hey, amidst this pandemic, you're the only thing that's light that's the that's light you know uh, in this dark moment of our of our society we're getting attacked but warrior shows empowered asian people mm-hmm. asian, you know like you guys are fighting the system like 
like you're the only thing I can watch right now. And thank God for this show because otherwise I'd be so depressed. I mean, that, you know, that was, that was just numerous DMs were saying that. And then people were also asking if Father June can make these public statements about, you know, uh, the anti-Asian hate and violence that's happening. They saw Father June as a leader, a, a voice of, um, that can actually, you know, lead, I guess, in this time in reality. What was, so I just felt, okay, now, now I can, again, like I said earlier about marriage, this opportunity exists and I'm able to wear a different hat and play a different role in real life and actually speak out in front of the, um, behind the art. You know, I used to use my art as my, um, activism. I was an artivist. Now in this moment of the pandemic, when I'm stuck at home and everyone's seeing all these news reports of violence, they need some kind of a voice of reason or guidance. If they want it in me, I need to step up. Yeah. If I can provide that sort of, um, you know, relief in some ways, I should step up. I just had to figure out how to do it. You know, I stumbled a bit and I'm still trying stumbling. I think I'm still trying to figure it out. Right. But, um, but it's, it's an opportunity for me to grow and to help my community, um, at the same time. It, it does help when a fresh onion punches the duck in the face. <laughs> to put it lightly, that's, that does it right there. Right? It, do, it does help. I mean, the first 10 minutes when, when, uh, Assam comes off the, the, the boat or the bus or whatever he's on. I think it's a boat, right? Yeah, it's a boat. It's a boat, right. And that, that one duck just mouths off to him and he beats the shit out of two of them or three of them. I'm like, I was hooked instantly. I was Absolutely, hooked. Absolutely. Because, because at that moment, I mean, we've been seeing images of people attacking agents, right? right? And then to see that flip, it yeah. was empowering. I was so disappointed when I found out when I watched the show. I'm like, what do you mean the show only has two seasons? Like, I always try to take, I always try to take my Asian out of stuff. Mm. Um, because like, I don't want to be that biased thing that says, me and BJ has, have always said this one thing, which is, I don't care if our show hits it big. I, we just want to be like how you say we want to be authentic. If it sucks, mm. it sucks, right? Mm -hmm. If it, if it's not good, if it's not good. And so we try to, we try to stay positive on things, but we, we figure we'd never sell our souls to, mm. to, we'd never, we'd never sell out if something isn't good. Right, right? right. And I remember texting BJ. I'm like, dude, you need to watch this show because you can't tell me in the first five minutes of this show that you're not hooked. And that's mm -hmm. happened quite a few times where, mm -hmm. where we watch something and, and we text each other and say, you need to watch this show. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. When we say, no, 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 you need to drop everything and watch the show. And that's what Warrior was. And we couldn't believe that this show got canceled. Like I, we, we say a lot of things on the internet. Like, you know, we over exaggerate to get clicks or shares and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm telling you right now, man, I, Perry, I, I can, I'm so happy that the show is back. Yeah, I mean, you are not alone. If you look at all the social media and all the fans that are saying on these, you know, there's a couple of Facebook warrior pages. There's I belong to them. Yep, I belong <laughs> to them. There's a whole handful of uh, IG warrior fans uh, pages. Um, You know, they're all like, how many times have you watched season one and two? You know, and everyone's like, oh, I've watched it over 20 times, you know. So it's like, you know. It's yeah, it, it's a soothing thing to just put on and watch over and over again. I've watched it four times all the way through, but I've watched certain things many times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the fight with the Psalm at that one underground, almost like a Kumite <laughs> type yes. looking thing. Um, yes. I've yes. seen that fight plenty of times. Oh, the, the attack on Chinatown. Mm, that's cool, oh right? my God. I love that one where, where the ducks come into our home territory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, such a Kung Fu moment when you have the rival gangs come to fight the big gang. Oh you know, my that god! Moment, it was so kung fu. When, so oh yes, Run yes. Run Shaw. Back in the days of Run Run Shaw, when you had these two factions come together to fight the bigger oppressor, you know, and it was one of those moments where this is what we need to do: come together in solidarity. You know, yeah, yeah. Oh god, that was so good. I, that God, I, you know, I got spoiled because I I watched it not not how it is now, and and obviously I'm going to be spoiled again because you guys were kind enough to give us season three. But I couldn't even imagine watching that being broken up week by week. No, oh, right, right. Because I got to binge it all in one shot. But man, if that ended the way it ended and I had to wait, you mm -hmm. know, well, I mean, mm -hmm. I guess I've had to wait from season two to season three, right? Right, uh, right. So, oh my God. And what a wait. 
What yeah, a way! Then the fans, the fans were still there, and they grew. You know, they anticipated. Oh, they so grew. They, right. I, I think me alone, just by friends alone, I've, I've, I've told five people. <laughs> I've told five people, and all five people have watched, and all five people cannot wait for the premiere. Mm, and mm. that's that's just my friends. I don't know how many followers have done that. Right. I'm guessing more than five, but just my close friends alone, I've gotten people hooked on this show. People that you wouldn't think would Thank watch you. a kung fu show, right? Because right? essentially, right. it's a kung fu show, but it's more than that. It's way more than that. I mean, earlier with all the you know the list that uh, that you gave about why the show is great, right? With drama, romance, um, choreography, fight choreography, action. It's also great, um, great acting. Yes. Right? The actors are so great, like in dramatic acting, and the sto- um, historical aspects the historical truths um of of the incidences you know that attack on chinatown right it's that was just one event of one chinatown of many chinatowns that were raised that were burned to the ground where the chinese were evicted and you know just basically they wanted to get rid of chinatown like the biggest one was los angeles chinatown in 1887 i think were where it was one of the largest mass lynchings in America. You know, those are things that we don't know about. That's yeah. never been televised and told, told in on or, television or taught. Exactly. So when I read that in a script season two, I wasn't in the scene, but I had to go watch the filming because it was historical for me. It was like, this is our roots moment. Right, so, the, so the good thing about it again is that I haven't seen it. So I haven't seen season three at all. Um, I want to ask you questions, but I know you can't spoil anything too. So let's talk about the family aspect of it. Cause it looks like from all everybody's Instagram pictures, no matter if you're a duck or an onion, no matter what it <laughs> is, you guys look like you guys are having a blast coming back and, and doing this thing. What was, the, what was the overarching, like, you know, tone when you guys all came back knowing full well, cause you guys released that amazing video, mm. that, that, that amazing video to announce that season three got picked up. Right. Mm-hmm. But obviously that was during the pandemic. Everybody's in different houses. What was it like first day on set for you? Oh my God. Oh my God. It was, I mean, so, so, uh, don't want to give away anything. Right. Like, but, but, um, yeah, just talk it, about the behind really the scenes. Is, it really is a family. It re- actually maybe stronger than family because we we somehow are bound by the love of the craft and the story and our work and we 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 um we're lucky to be there to tell the story of our uh of our biggest hero right like everybody who's an uh there even the caucasian actors were like bruce lee's my biggest hero when i grew up you know so this it's amazing to be here continuing given the honor and the responsibility to continue his legacy, you know, so it was really like we were bound by that sort of like um, privilege, you know, and um, so to see each other again, and, and actually we all love each other's work. When I watched the, the, when I watch warrior, I'm so in love with the actors because I know they're nothing like that in real life, you know, and I just watched them on screen going, Oh, he's so good. Oh, he's so good. Cause he's, that's not him. He right, would never right. do that in real life. And so just to be around these re- people who have spent their lives digging into their passion and their work to tell stories, I mean, it gives us a certain kind of, um, you know, um, camaraderie, I think. And, and just familia. We just feel like so close. And then, you know, the, the tone is set by the showrunners, Jonathan Tropper, the writers, uh, Shannon Lee, you know, Justin Lin. They love this, the show. And they, you know, they're the, they're the, the, they're the light of the show. They guide us. And because of their energy and their vision and, you know, the blood, you know, Shannon Lee's blood is like, we can't mess this up, you know? Um, so it's just, it's a family getting together, you know, that's even better. I would say better than, cho- you know, you choose these people in some ways. Uh, one of my favorite, like besides, besides your character, obviously there's a lot of characters in the show that are, that are com- either racist or, you know, gang members, right? Like basically mm-hmm. nobody really in the show is a good person, right? I, I, <laughs> right. right? Essentially nobody is really a good, maybe. Maybe uh, Tom tries to be uh, uh, Tom Weston uh, Jones, who plays the uh, uh, Robert. Right, but, Lee. He, but, but he's killed people before, yes, you know, yes, like yes. everybody's maybe, maybe 
maybe Nelly's pretty a good person, right? Nelly, right, right. Nelly right. is actually a good uh Miss Miss Mrs. Blake, I forget her first name. Um uh yeah, Miss Blake. Who's Penny? Yes, yeah. Maybe she's yeah, yeah, a Penny. pretty decent person. But outside of that, everybody's pretty much like have committed murder at some point, right? The guys. Well, yeah, yeah. you know. Well even the like, women. I mean, how badass yes. is like uh Olivia oh. Cheng's character. Oh right, right, right. Uh, I mean, she's, she's, I, I love, her. first of all, she doesn't get enough praise. Whoever your costume designer is mm. needs to get praise for all the costumes, but mm-hmm. what she does with a toy's costumes mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. amazing. Yep. Yep. I mean, I think they can have a Vogue spread just on Diane and Olivia, you know, the oh, women of women, right. of Warrior, you know, yeah. I was joking at one time that they should have a GQ, you know, cause, uh, spread on the, uh, the men because like, how where like the Versace gang, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. your suits yeah. look great, but right. the women's outfits, uh, like especially stuff. Olivia and, and uh, 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 Joan, not Diane, 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 Diane yeah. yeah, she, Diane Doan's character, Mei Ling, her her yeah. outfit and a toy's outfits are gorgeous. Yeah, like they spent time. They definitely spent time, and we we you know. They, they keep talking and they keep honing it as they watch it, you know, and as the seasons develop, as they keep shooting, they go, Oh, I, I need to make changes, you know, cause they see it on the screen right. and they know how it plays and they feel, they feel it, right? They feel the episode and they go, okay, I need to make changes. So you could actually, if you compare from season one, episode one, how much of their clothing has changed, it's because they're constantly watching and, and, you know, changing and, and making it better. And that's, you know, they're, they're not skimping on the art direction, the makeup, the hair, the costuming. They really got their eye on the production design, you know, and, um, that's part of the one reason why we, we filmed in South Africa, South Africa is because the labor's, you know, cheaper and we get more, the HBO gets more bang for their buck, right? So we have these really talented designers and they can work harder and longer to, to make our show look so good on a shoestring budget because if you have American shot show, you would never get it look, looking this good, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I don't want, you know, and in some ways it's kind of exploiting the labor there, but HBO has a deal with South Africa, the South African Cape town government to, um, it's, I think it's called like the better business bureau. Um, it's a grant that they give money to black, um, and people of color. They call them colored people over there. Um, so if you're Chinese or Asian, you're a colored person, you know, and, or you're black, you know, black African, um, there's money government grants just to help them get ahead. So it's like they're affirmative action, but their government actually is actively doing that. And, um, because they understand the, um, the problem that, um, apartheid cause, right. The inequities of apartheid. So as a government and everybody's on board, we need to change that. America still hasn't addressed that, you know? So, um, so with, with HBO going there, we have to hire black and colored people into positions, uh, where they're trained technically to be, you know, like filmmakers. They, they handle the, uh, lenses, they handle the cameras, they, they mic people up, they handle the lights, they do things that train them to be, you know, uh, talented individuals that can work in the industry regardless of where you are, Hollywood or London or, you know, Atlanta. So that was part of what Holly, um, HBO was bringing with us is, is to, to train people that are, mm. you know, non-white. Right, right. Does does that... Tell me about the... Tell me what's different about this set versus, you know, a, a, a set that wasn't brought back by the internet. I mean... I, I wish I was a fly on the wall with the first day you guys came back or uh, the text chain that might be happening where you're just talking to each other and saying, can you believe this freaking thing is happening? Like, can you believe the internet brought us back? Like, I'm just, I, I mean, I've seen it happen before with other shows, but I don't, we're a small rinky dink podcast. <laughs> I don't get to talk to people who are part of a movement like that. Like what, yeah. what was that like on, you know, you're, you're in your makeup chair. You're, you, who's the first person you see on set the first day back? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My first day back is, I would say I walk into the stunt training center with Brett Chan, right? Cause everyone's training together uh, where they do all the fight choreography and you see Assam and Lee Young and, and, you know, Dean uh, Jagger and, and, you know, Langley 
you know, like everybody is Olivia and, and Diane also and Young Jun. We go there to train. It's amazing. And we see each other training and we're laughing. We're like, can you believe this? You know, and, and everybody's like, I never thought, I just never thought this would, it's like we're living a dream. You know, the fact that, that we're here again, it's just a dream because it never happens. And, and it, we, we, you know, we thank Jonathan Tropper, who's con- was still kind of hounding HBO saying, Hey guys, I know the cast well. They'll come back, you know, just offer them the contract. And, uh, so he was constantly dangling that, that carrot and all the fans that were, that were, um, you know, pushing for it and signing the, the change.org. And there was a community group, Chinatown organization for media awareness who took out a full page ad in the Hollywood reporter saying, Hey, if HBO truly wants to support stop anti-Asian hate, renew warrior, you know, that's calling HBO out saying renew warrior. If you really want to like help and all of that did it. So it really is about the work of the village, you know, it takes the whole village to do this. It wasn't just one person. It wasn't just one group. It, it took the moment, you know, everybody's heart and desire to build this momentum, to put it on the table of HBO and say, we want this to happen. Look at that hate out there. This can combat hate. Let's do it, you know? And Casey Beloy is the head of HBO at that moment said, let's do it. It was amazing. So I, I, I know I only have you for an hour. So let me ask you one last question because how did you find out? Like, were, were you sent a text message, an email? Like, how, how did you find out and where were you when you found out? Um, I was in my hold-up quarantine location in Rhode Island. And um, I got a text from Jonathan Tropper, um, the showrunner, you know, who wrote Banshee and all that uh, show. He said, um, are you available to do a WhatsApp? I think I want to talk about, some, you know, something like the future of Warrior. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, like um, – I think he had, and even before he did that, he had created the whole chat group of all of the Warrior uh, production, you know, like people, uh, like like Brett Chan, the, the stunts person, and Shannon. And it says something like, Warrior Season 3 chat. And this was, you know, before we even had that. We went, wait, what? What? You know, we just saw the chat, chat name of the chat group, you know? Uh-huh. And so it was like your heart started suddenly thumping, going, whoa, 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 I'm about to pass out. Let me sit down. You know, what's going on here? You know, it was just like, a shock. It's like the earth moved, you know, and I, and then, and Jonathan, are, are we all, can, can we all do a, a, a zoom chat? And this was so impromptu. It wasn't even like three days from now or when's everyone's schedule. It was, it was just like right now, now. Wow. now. And everybody's like, bing, bing, bing. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in that bing. You know, it, it was just like, um, I'm in. Everyone's like, I'm in. And he goes, okay, guys, I just talked to um, Casey Bloys and he said, it's a possibility if you guys will come back with the same contract, you know, like, like not, you know, a raise, a huge raise and everybody's hands went up, you know, <laughs> like I'm in, you know? Um, so it was one of those moments. And, and then, you know, that's when the JT said, okay, let me, I'm going to take this to them. Hold, hold tight. You know what I mean? It was all happening. Like, like this was a war room or something, you know, and, and these negotiating peace or something, you know, <laughs> or about, you know, and, right. and then, and then he goes, this is going to happen, you know, but I'm not going to announce it. It was like a day or two later. Uh, this is going to happen. Wait for um, your, your agents or your manager to send you the contract and, but don't announce anything because we're going to let Shannon announce it. Right. So Shannon contacts us and say, okay, everybody, I want you to make a little video that says we're back, you know? And so we all waited for Shannon to edit this thing. We're all like, you know, like, (laughs) you know, like this is all like days, a day, you know, like within days, you know, it was just like your world can change dramatically within just days, you know, because it was bleak. Right. Right. You know, we were in a pandemic. There was no auditions. We weren't, I mean, like, I was lucky that I got offered two things out of the blue, you know, but, um, but like nobody was auditioning, nobody was filming. It's a pandemic, you know, and like a lot of people were like, I think my acting career is over. Wow. You know, what are we going to, what, what are we, we going to do after this? Is, it, is industry going to come back? But it did, you know, it did. And here we are. So it's a fucking miracle. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you, Vic. That was for thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, 
Perry, thank you so much for spending. I know you got to get to, I know you got to get to some other uh, press. So thank you so much. Bigger press than we are, but <laughs> hey, you're big, dude. You are big. No, we're not. We're so small That's time and we, uh, we can't thank you enough for this. I cannot wait to watch Warrior season three. Perry, man, there's so many people that we get to talk to that I get to talk to that I never thought, but there's very few people, um, that I get to talk to who I outwardly respect. Um, like I do for you. And it's not just because you're father June. In fact, if you were like father June, I'd probably be scared of you, but, <laughs> but it's everything else that you do with your family, you know, with your, with your son, with your wife, the, I, I love the picture of you in makeup and a skirt playing bass. It's one of my <laughs> favorite. And I don't think I'm not saying it to make fun of you at all. I'm saying because it's mad respect for what you do. And, Thank you so much for being you, and thank you so much for giving us the time that you do. Hey, Vic, thank you for doing what you do, because without you, you know, we wouldn't have as much of a forum, you know. Anytime you want to come back, you have an open invitation. Um, I would love to get everyone on Warrior at some point, but I know that's not going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm so happy that Father June uh, is a friend of our show. Thank you so much, Perry. Uh, I'm blessed to know you guys. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on again, Perry. And that was Chew on This and Nerd United Podcast. I'm Vic. I'm Perry Young. Some of you know me as Father Chew Warrior. And it's an absolute pleasure to be on Chew on This. Mm-hmm.